All right, on today's episode of the Launchpad Podcast, we are talking with Kelly Jones, one of the cover artists and interior artists for Batman. You may know some of his best stuff. I mean, Batman Red Rain, where Batman becomes a vampire. Mm-hmm. Nightfall uh, series. Nightfall series. I mean, the covers for the Nightfall series. He's done a bunch of interior work for Batman. But are we talking about Batman today? No. What are we wasting my time? We got to talk about some werewolves. We're talking about werewolves with Kelly Jones in our continuing Nightfall Full Moon series. This is a great one, guys. He gives a bunch of great suggestions about what books to read, what movies you should watch, and even stumped us. We had never heard of the movie he recommended, and we cannot wait to check it out. So listen to this episode. You might want to have like a notepad or your little texting device out so that you can write down the suggestions that he gives, but I cannot wait for you to hear this and share some of these suggestions. And guys, keep up with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at LaunchpadPod and our website, launchpadpod.com. Like and subscribe and leave a review on Apple iTunes. Is there anything else I need, Matt? Yeah, dude, my arms are getting itchy. My hair is starting to grow out. Oh, full moon! Sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hello. Hey, how are you? Good. Hey, Mr. Jones, it's Matt and Aaron. How's it going, man? How are you doing, Matt and Aaron? Doing we're, great. Thanks, thanks for coming so, on the yeah, show, man. We're excited about this. Well, it, it's uh, it's a good subject. Yes. Yes. Be the werewolf thing. Yeah, we've been having a lot of fun with it, uh, watching a bunch of werewolf movies and uh, talking to some cool people about werewolves. We're really glad we got you uh, got you on board with it. Yeah, well, werewolves are one of those things that are are really cool. There should be more of it. Yes. What, what there is generally is pretty good. There's still a lot of it that, you know, a lot of territory you can explore. Vampires, they've kind of wore out. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't love vampires. I actually go back to classical vampires now because I think they kind of wore out the new sparkly vampire <laughs> and removed all the stuff that makes a vampire. You know, vampires a nasty, horrible thing. It shouldn't be wonderful. Yeah. Werewolves, there's a tragedy to them. Mm-hmm. but they're really, really scary to me in, in the classical sense or in the modern sense. They can be really, really scary. I love them. And, and I think it's such a great because, like you said, like the, the vampires are supposed to be this curse. It's supposed to be this awful thing. But werewolves, it's the, it's always the beast within. I don't think you can glamorize werewolf to be well, like uh, a fun, sexy thing. <laughs> no, and a vampire is something that takes over a dead body. Right. Right. A werewolf. The vast majority of the time, you're a normal guy. Yeah. And then this thing takes over. When it goes away, you're left with the memory of being something awful. So it leaves you with a pretty ugly choice. So a vampire, you know, he enjoys what he is Mm -hmm. because it's not a person. So but that's great. Don't get me wrong. It's great. It's just I don't I don't think uh teenage girls fall in love with vampires that's just (laughs) (laughs) i do like what you just said how the werewolf wakes up the next day and has that memory it's like every every morning after a full moon for a werewolf is a hangover movie but with murder (laughs) and not fun hijinks (laughs) And, and so your whole life begins to revolve around several hours of that night to try to avoid something whereas a vampire does it every night and enjoys it but there's no life involved with a vampire where there is with a werewolf 
I mean, you just don't go, you just don't go off and say, well, I got to go to work now and I've got to go see some friends or whatever, uh, because you know what you are. It's, it's a very cool, uh, you know, and then of course all the philosophical people and all the literary people can get involved in it and it works that way just as well, but it also works just as a good rip. I mean, you know, Larry Talbot is a great hmm. character and he's only a werewolf a little bit. We sit for that, but we love the journey of Larry Talbot. Yeah, it's true. And you're right there. You know, there's the, the whole human side of the werewolf. And I remember the first time I ever saw that was in Monster Squad of all movies. Yeah. Because I feel like I saw that pretty early as a kid. And, and at that point, even if you watch a great movie, like if you watch The Wolfman, The Wolfman is about, like you said, it's about Larry Talbot. It's about the human. And he also is a werewolf for some of the movie. But as a kid... That doesn't really register for you, per se. You're just waiting for the werewolf. But I remember in Monster Squad, that scene in the police station where the guy is yelling at the cops and he like starts throwing cops around and he's like, lock me up! And you're like, oh shit, Like this guy knows what he is and he's trying to fight that. I always felt they got that actually from an outstanding episode of Barney Miller. Where, Interesting. Yeah, where a guy comes in and he says, you have to lock me up. And they go, well, you haven't done anything. And he goes, I'm a werewolf. And they think, okay, they'll lock him up because he's a crazy, right? Uh, but, and it's a very, very funny episode. Um, the fellow who plays the werewolf became a recurring character for the show because he was uh, so good. But it's the same thing. He goes, I'm going to kill people. I'm going to do things. Uh, all of the officers blow him off except one who is a Japanese officer. They don't have werewolf legends, and <laughs> he starts to believe it. So it's very, very funny. Uh, but it's very similar to that in Monster Squad. And I always felt, well, they must have seen it because it it's uh, obviously they have theirs be a real one. But I, I would recommend it. It's it's a, a little detour on the side road of werewolfism, but it's very fun. <laughs> it sounds great. We'll have to check that out. I haven't, I haven't even heard of that. That's uh, the guy who plays the werewolf. If you see man, have you seen the program man in the high camp castle? Yes. Okay. The guy who plays the werewolf is the same actor who plays Himmler. Oh, oh. okay. So it's how I, I still, when I watch that show, I go, it's the werewolf guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's start at the beginning. What was your introduction into werewolves? What what werewolf first got his fangs in you uh, and his claws in you when you were a kid? What made you be like, wow, these are cool creatures? Uh, there were a couple things that weren't movies yet. I had seen uh, years and years and years. I guess they still do scholastic books, but now they do. You know, they're going to teach us things. Whereas in the <laughs> old one, there was no teaching. And they had this one. Uh, it was a cartoon book. And it was just cartoons of the monsters at like classic universal monsters. And they had a werewolf in it. And I hadn't really seen those things. I was a really little kid. And I just, I liked, I didn't understand it. It's just a guy walking around looking like a wolf. And I never saw the first Wolfman movie. I saw Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Okay. And that was a really, you know, that was a scary Wolfman movie because it opens in the graveyard. Yes. I had no idea what it was. It opens in the graveyard. These guys are going to rob this man's grave. They go in there. You know, moonlight comes through the crypt out th that they've opened. And this hand shoots out and grabs this guy. Yeah. It terrified me. 
that scene terrifying. You go through a great, it was all classic stuff. The rest of the movie is is fun, but it's not nearly as terrifying as that scene. I agree. I Because then we were talking about that with, with Graham Nolan, that specific movie and that specific yep. scene. And I think yep. the scariest part of that is it's two grave robbers and the guy who gets grabbed, the other, like, the guy who gets grabbed doesn't even scream. He just kind of makes a noise and like oh. looks down and he's trembling, frozen in fear. And the other guy just leaves. He just <laughs> runs away. And you got to remember that film came out during World War Two and it and there were letters from soldiers when that thing had premi- uh, shown overseas the guys actually line combat soldiers going this is too scary yeah yeah <laughs> wow and i'm like going really you're fighting nazis and you know the imperial japanese army and you're and this scares you you know so it worked then and it works now but that's the first thing i saw and then uh the next day for whatever reason uh they ran the wolfman and the Wolfman's great attraction is it plays What Would You Do If You Were? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like being told you have cancer, but it's not a cancer that will kill you. It's a cancer that will kill other people. Oh, oh what a way to think about that. And and so what do you do? You know, you it, it becomes the opposite. He does, once he figures it out and, and tries to beg that he's insane or beg that it's not real, he realizes what he's got to do. Yeah, and he spends the whole movie trying to do that. He'll either kill people or kill people and make more like him. Yeah. And that's that's why it's a tragedy. And great gothic work is tragedy. Uh, nobody nobody accepting that Frankenstein has, the monster has more of a soul than anyone. They just see as, you know, that's a, we all identify for that. That's great. The only thing that really beats that is you are a monster, but most of the time you're not. And that just works. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of great, a lot of great stuff with it, but not as much as, as you would hope, you know, mm-hmm. um, ultimately it comes down to what you said. It has to be scary. Right. Well, and I, I think one of the things we, we, we've been talking about werewolf movies and, and getting to talk about a bunch of really cool werewolf movies and usually they're a big hit and I love that they all have their own essence to them. They all kind of tackle a different aspect of what this curse can do to you or, or how it, how it afflicts you or the people around you. Like, you know, the, the ones that are more Gothic dealing with that pain and that suffering or a movie like dog soldiers, which is more of an action movie with, with werewolves, but it's still scary. It it almost reminded me of like the movie, like aliens, but with werewolves. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, And you're right. I always, I always felt too, uh, one of the great, one of the great werewolf movies that isn't a werewolf movie, but is totally doing a werewolf movie is cat people. Sure. And, and it goes across that, like you were to your point, you know, a lot of werewolf movies will deal with the psychology of people. The, the, even in the first Wolfman, it, it's something to the dualism in, in people. Yeah. Uh, the howling, it's a psychological, you know, they, they deal with the psychology of the, the, uh, the beast and the man combined and the whole thing. And when you see cat people, they took it as rather than the violence, they took it into taboo sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the so, sort of so, erotic nature of it. Well, it's whatever happened in her village was really bad. Mm-hmm. And that was the curse. Whatever they did, it wasn't violence. It was it was something worse. So it manifests through through her. She tries to live a normal life and she can't. Yeah. And and I'm still to this day stunned that movie got made. Yeah. 
I've only seen the I've never seen the original cat people. I saw the one that they tried to remake in the 80s. The beauty of the original is it had censors mm-hmm. and it had restrictions and you could only go so far. It becomes far more. It reaches far more the level than than the age we live in where you can show and do and say everything. Yeah, I can appreciate that because I think a lot of times when you have those parameters, you come up with a better way to show something than if it's just like, yeah, well, I can do whatever I want. There's also the, the stuff you don't see is always scarier than the stuff well, you, you and do. And, and what it is is a lot of people will say that, but a lot of people can't do it. Mm-hmm. Do a exactly. Of, a lot of people, you go, yeah, just show it. <laughs> uh, but for me, I will always lean to more censorship which is, you know, oh my God, or more censoring of myself or more control of myself because I think it forces what you get, like we're seeing in these werewolf films, it forces you to be clever mm-hmm. and it forces you to find a new way that will stay with people, that they can identify with, that can touch them. So th- that's why there's a, a very high percentage of great werewolf movies and a very, uh, uh, but a very low percentage of them in horror, actually. Right. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Well, I yeah. think I think one of the biggest things is budgetary. It's hard to show sure. a werewolf and it's hard to show a werewolf really well. Mm-hmm. And it takes, you know, it takes money to make a good practical costume. Well, you a, yeah, you need a good actors, really. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The good ones have a good actor. The bad ones have a bad actor. Oh, <laughs> I can have a guy just wear a mask and a gorilla suit and I'm fine if I believe it. Right. right no, yeah. it's true. I mean, yeah, you look at the I think a lot of times the older films actually are working better. One of the ones that we saw recently was the the, the werewolf, werewolf, yeah, and uh, that was 1956, and that actually was really effective without showing much. And there's moments in that where you're like, uh, you know, how he kills the people seems yep. very violent, but at the end of the day, like you didn't see anything. There was no, no blood. And look, as as silly as the title, I was a teenage werewolf. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, there's a real tragedy to this because no one helps this kid. They exploit him. Yeah, and he does have major anger issues, right? Uh, so it's not a supernatural thing. It's a medical thing. Yeah. So it, what it always, what that movie always left me with as a kid is, well, anyone could be one then. You didn't need to be bit by one. You just needed Whit Bissell as a mad scientist near you. But that, <laughs> near that, you. <laughs> that still, it was, uh, it was a great little run on it. First of all, it had a freaking awesome title. I still love that title. Yeah. But it had a medical background and a psychological background. It was very grounded. It's funny that 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 when you see these movies and you take them just you 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 take them as just they are, they work. If mm-hmm. you if you go that little extra bit, if you're a genre fan, then you start thinking, well, what would I do? What would I be? And how would I handle this? Unless you're, you know, sociopathic, you have to go the Larry Talbot. Route. Absolutely. And and I think it's very interesting. Well, I guess this brings up two points, but I, I want to touch with the first one when you said the um, I was a teenage werewolf. And I, I like when werewolf movies, there's there is almost a sub werewolf genre that is the puberty teen angst yes, angle yeah. of werewolves, because I think a lot of times you feel animalistic, you feel uh, misunderstood. Right. And this movie did it, uh, a movie that I just watched last night, Ginger Snaps used puberty for these two sisters as a vehicle for the werewolf uh, mythos, and I think to very great success. But well, then you have, a, yeah. and then you have a movie like Teen Wolf, which was like, "Hey, we'll lampoon this." And I yeah. think they missed all the angles of it. They made it so silly, but in the end, almost made it like an offensive superpower than <laughs> than an actual curse. 
That's this well, is going to be a whole other episode where we deconstruct always, that. Always, I can't believe you just said that. But yeah, and and I agree. I think I think that um, puberty is change. Yeah, turning into a monster is change. So the changing thing is good. Yeah, if Teen Wolf, I always felt was a big, a, a totally great idea that they completely missed. All they had to do was, you know, what if Ferris Bueller turned into a werewolf? Yeah, you could do that because there there is something funny. Obviously, Young Frankenstein or uh, Love at First Bite. There's very funny takes on these things, and they do get into what was symbolized in the original stories. They actually are very explicit with, and Mel Brooks does it very well. And so, so did they Love at First Bite, you know? Right. And but werewolves, werewolves is a subgenre. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows Frankenstein and Dracula, but if you say Larry Talbot, then you start getting fewer people. It's true. It's true. Yeah, most people I don't think can name name the the yeah, werewolves the by werewolves. name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's interesting. No, no, they actually that's one of them where they know the actor more than they would. Right. Uh, they would know that his character. But but you get into our world and everyone you just can shorthand it and say Larry Talbot. You feel like Larry Talbot. That guy's a Larry Talbot. We all know what you mean. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think I think genre fans especially can can pick that name out of lineup, but you're right. It's it's a it's tough be, that that the werewolf m- you know, basically people have, I, I think if you ask people to name werewolf movies, it's American Werewolf in London and probably Teen Wolf. Well, that's part of the cool thing about the research that we've done for these for these episodes, the werewolf episodes, is you're right. There's definitely like what you'd call like top shelf, right? But then you yeah. start to go like there's two or three or four rungs deeper where these movies that some of them I have not, like I didn't even hear of the werewolf until Chuck Dixon suggested it. And then right. when I looked it up, I was like, oh, no, I actually know the poster. I'm at least familiar that it existed. But then you watch it, and it is definitely right now one of my top five werewolf movies. Well, yeah, werewolf. certainly, I'm always a big uh, acknowledger of there may be better movies, but there's movies that entertain me more. Yes. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. And so I will say absolutely I love, and you can name, you know, whatever great classic film. Uh, for example, in horror films, in my, uh, you know, when people come to me, especially because I'm known for it, they'll say top five horror films and I'll name, you know, that kind of changes. There'll be this one or that one, but there's always going to be the legend of Augie Creek in it. Mm-hmm. Huh. And, and people look at me like, how could how, that? It was, oh my God, you know, and you can see their esteem for you drop and you, really, <laughs> and you go, no, it still has that French term for zone where there's still moments of terror in it. And it does that thing. It doesn't really show you anything. It doesn't really, uh, but it's all cinematography. It's all sound direction. It's all plays on your uh, boogeyman aspect. Mm -hmm. Did they intentionally try to capture it? I don't know. I just know it works. So when you come to a werewolf, there seemed to be a period. Like uh, you got Wolfen, you got... American Werewolf, and you got The Howling all yeah. at the same time. And all of them I enjoy. Um, Wolfen probably came in third because it's a, it's, it's a literary a, a take. Which is funny because when you and I started talking about this, Mr. Jones, you were like, I, I named a couple of the ones that we'd already discussed, and you were like, oh, you haven't hit my favorite ones yet. No, and I still- started throwing those out, and I, like, I couldn't, I was, I'm dying to know. And you were like, oh, I'll save it for the show. And then you, you wrote me maniacal Joker laugh, which cracked me up. Well, because what happens is, see, there's certain stories that, that you come across 
and you realize what we're talking about has been going on for some time, at least in, in story form, in the written form, I think the greatest werewolf story I've, I've read, and I would love for it to be a film, it would be my favorite film, of uh, certainly about werewolves, but it would be right up there if it was done well, is a story by Jack Williamson, who was a very, very famous uh, grandmaster of science fiction and fantasy and the whole thing. But in his early years, he was a pulpster. Mm. He wrote a fabulous story in 1931 called Wolves of Darkness. Okay. You can find it if you look it, any Jack Williamson. It's an it's a kind of a novella length, but I found it of all things in an anthology called Rivals of Weird Tales, and they were great stories that didn't appear in Weird Tales at that time. And you know, this is some years ago, and and I you know I knew of Jack Williamson from his science fiction. It is off the charts awesome. Give us like a rundown, like a synopsis, without giving any big spoilers oh. away. A guy gets a letter. He lives back east. His father and uh, this girl he's kind of in love with, but won't say anything, uh, write to him saying, you need to help us. You must come help us. Our lives are at stake. And it's during winter. And uh, so he, he comes out west and it's Colorado or somewhere like that, if I remember. So it's kind of snow. And no one will go out to where his father's laboratory is or his ranch is or whatever because of all these horrific murders and these people who disappear. And finally, he pays this guy an enormous amount of money to go out, like in those days, 50 bucks, yeah. you know. <laughs> and you realize that the letters he got were from his father and, and this gal, but after they had changed. Mm. and they aren't those people anymore. Mm. And at that point, it goes even further than a, some supernatural werewolf thing. They are awful. And it affects things more than just people. It affects animals they've killed. Oh, how interesting. So it is exactly. So it's this guy having to deal with it. And then you realize they need him to fulfill this experiment that they were doing. But when the change happened, they forgot. They're really smart, but they forgot how to do it. And then you realize they're not human anymore. They're something else. And he glimpses into this place through his father's unwitting mistake, as you know, the scientists always do, to where they come from. It's And I'll leave it at that. It's genius. Wow. It, it is a page-turning nightmare, and it's genius. And if it were a film... Uh, and then it becomes him having to deal with this and try to stop it. That sounds it, awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna have to put that on our reading list yeah. now. Yeah, uh, it's Wolves of Darkness, Jack Williamson. It is, and and I would say if you can find it, it's in a in, it's in a great anthology called Rivals of Weird Tales, and I believe it's edited by Robert Weinberg and Martin Greenberg and whatever. There's a lot of great. There's actually another great werewolf story in there by an author I had not heard of up to that time named Jane Rice, who was one of those rare women who broke into pulps. Yeah. And, and she wrote a fabulous short story of a werewolf during World War II in Paris, occupied Paris. Oh, wow. And it's not what you even think. It's like the war is such a distant backdrop to this story. And it is absolutely wonderful and terrifying at the same time. Uh, written from a woman's perspective, from a woman's point of view about this guy who shows up in her back garden 
and it's terrifying and wonderful at the same time. But it's a great book if you find it. There's two great stories in there, but Wolves of Darkness is my all-time favorite. Anything to do with a werewolf. Wow. This is coming from Kelly Jones, who knows his way about uh, a horror story. So that's that's worth the read right there, right? Yeah, that's that's as big an endorsement as, as, as it I is. need. It, 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 I appreciate that, but it's just I've read a lot of them, and there's a lot of great ones, and there's ones that it doesn't put down anybody else's. There's room for more. Sure, sure. See, I'm trying to think of werewolf stories that I've read, and, and the only one that really comes to my mind is Stephen King's Cycle of the Werewolf, which is, like, right. fine, but it's, like, it's it's a you know what, like a hundred pages. It is what it is. It's not anything super deep. I think it's got a couple cool reveals and some fun stuff. It's got great art by Bernie Wrightson in there, well, which is amazing. That's, that's what it was written for to me. It was like, hey, how can I write some cool stuff for Bernie to draw? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I know Stephen King has his ear to the to the ground, his finger to the pulse with that kind of stuff. So there's there's a good a good chance that that book was written for that purpose. But yeah, um, if you guys haven't read that one, that one's really fun. It's a, a young boy in a wheelchair and his cool ne'er-do-well uncle kind of, you know, have this relationship and they there's a lot of these grisly murders happening in the town. We know before the characters know that it's a werewolf because of the, the drawings as well as the writing. But there's, you know, the, the book takes place over the course of a year and it goes through the seasons month by month and every month there's a new murder. And some of those Bernie Wrights and images, man, are just ingrained in my head there's one with a werewolf reaching through a truck window and literally ripping a guy's cheek off yeah it's so so cool and the werewolves look absolutely great but uh they they don't know who who's doing it the boy begins to think it's a werewolf but nobody really believes him one night he goes out to do some fireworks and the werewolf attacks him and the firework he shoots a firework in the werewolf's face and hits him in the eye and the next day like he looks around he knows that the werewolf theoretically the human will have now a face or an eye injury. And he goes trick-or-treating, dressed as Yoda, and him and his uncle see that the, the pastor or the priest from their local church has an eye patch on now. And I thought that, as a kid, I thought that was such a bitchin' reveal. Yeah. That yeah. Not, like, not only as a, as a device of how to figure that out, but that it was the town pastor, like the town priest, I thought that was really, really cool. Well, it goes to the original Werewolf of Paris. The story is, which a great adaptation by Hammer and Curse of the Werewolf that mm-hmm. that it's this odd thing. I guess only the, you know, the French could see it, though they transported the film to Spain, that if you're born on Christmas Day, you offend God, and you're going to be a werewolf. And you go, <laughs> well, that, you know, that's totally not fair. <laughs> so it, it was always this thing that beware of children born on Christmas Day because, you know, I don't know where that came from, but it sure worked. You know, yeah. there are certain things you know, werewolves usually come from the fact that you were a pretty awful person in life and you didn't, you weren't allowed to, in the traditional sense, and you weren't allowed to die. Mm-hmm. So you kept doing these horrible things until you were removed from the earth in a more, following a more religious ceremonial way. So you're removed from, from earth and heaven and everything. Uh, but that's, that's, you know, mid, Middle Ages thinking, yeah. but that still kind of works, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, because vampires, it was the same thing. You're such a, you're you're a murderer. You're a, you do some horrible crime or whatever. You're not buried in consecrated ground. And so therefore uh, it leaves a spirit open to taking over your body. That's kind of cool. 
Uh, It it, it was one of those things saying forcing you to be good, forcing your family to make sure you'd be good, too. Werewolfism has such deep and long lasting roots in real life where, you know, what we understand is the temporary uh, contemporary werewolf mythos has roots that go back to so many different things, both like different viruses, different diseases, as well as psychological stuff. It's very interesting. It goes back uh, thousands of years. Greeks have stories of people turning into animals. Yeah. Uh, you go back to uh, Babylonian times. The first, it, they have people turning into animals. Wolves. Every culture has it. But we all have the same psychology. Mm. Right? We all exactly, have exactly. Thing. It doesn't matter what, what era, religion, race, time you lived in. There's that duality, as Larry Talbot's dad says. So, and it's a way to explain it. It's pretty frightening, you know, ultimately you realize that there is some supernatural agency, but maybe it's worse if there isn't, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. no, it's just become when it doesn't, you don't need a, you don't need some uh, spooky reason. But, but that all said, it still works. They, they, it just, it works. And, you know, so then you get into the next debate. Well, do you like a werewolf that looks like a dog? Yeah. Do you like a wolf that's anthropomorphized? Do you like a mixture of the two? You know, I, I'm always of the mind that the more human it looks with dog features, that's more frightening to me. But I'll take American Werewolf and London Werewolf. I think that's a great one. You know, this big shouldered dog thing is scary. I love the Bernie Wrights one with the dog legs. Yeah. With a wolf head, but a human body. That one really works. And and the last truly original vision of a werewolf was Wrightson. So you you have a lot of different ways to do it. And as long as, you know, it's scary and there's some death going on, they work. I saw a piece of art once that I don't know what it was for. I was too young to, to connect the dots, but it was a piece of art that showed the cycle of a moon all the way through. And it, to me, proposed an idea for uh, a werewolf or lycanthropy that that really stuck with me. And it's when it's a full moon, he is on all fours, running around like a dog, looks looks like a giant wolf. But when the moon is half full, he's that half man, half wolf on his hind legs running around. And then ah, when okay. there's no moon, he's just a guy. So like when you got that little sliver, his beard's a little extra thick. Like, <laughs> yeah. But I thought I that like was... I that idea. Yeah. And so it, it took advantage of the full cycle of the moon. And I don't know what that was for. I don't know if it was a comic book or a book or a movie or something that I never saw... But well, I just if, saw this uh, art. What what is it? What if it's a woman? Yeah, you know she's she, is her hair a little longer? Is her fingernails a little sharper? I don't. You know you don't know. One of the things I wish they would have done more, and that's why Cap People was so good, was it happens to women. Well, mm-hmm. and I think that's where a movie like Ginger Snaps really succeeded in, in in showing that aspect. But they also had the bonus of sort of the teen drama that came around with sure, with yeah. these two sisters. Yeah, and and that all that that in and of itself all works. There, it's hard to imagine keeping something like this going. Although I do remember in the '80s a pretty good TV series about a guy who was a werewolf hunting the guy who made him a werewolf. It starred Chuck Connors, and it was it was uh, one of the Fox uh, Television's first forays into programming. And I remember it being a pretty fun show. Uh, I haven't seen it in years. I don't even know if they've put it on DVD uh, as a box set, but I do remember liking this show. What, do you do you know if it was just called Werewolf? I think it was just called Werewolf. I think you're right. But it was with, like, like I said, I love Chuck Connors, so I was going to watch it. And in it, 
it was like you know the the weekly anthology show where each week it, a new it's the only thing connecting it was this guy chasing down the guy who made him a werewolf. Wow, it, it worked for me. I thought it was a pretty pretty ballsy show. It had a pretty good body count to it. The funny thing about that show, and I the only reason I knew that there was a show called The Werewolf or Werewolf in the Night in the eighties was because the guy who was the suit performer in the terrible werewolf in Silver Bullet, which is the film adaptation of Cycle of the Werewolf, the same guy who played that werewolf played the werewolf in The Werewolf, in the, yeah. the, the, the TV show. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget. You know, it's it. that's been such a long time ago. But, uh, and who knows, well, it's, it's went with age. But generally, for me, if these things kind of stay true to themselves, then the horror aspect works. Probably of all the classic universal horror films, The Wolfman holds up the best because it deals with that aspect of what would you do? Yeah. After the first one, they really were like, well, we got all that mythos out of the way and all yeah. that angst. Let's uh, just have him fight other monsters. And you're like, yeah, oh, okay, go around in Larry Talbot. But he's quite good. Even in a silly film like Abbott and Costello, he's quite good. Yeah. Yeah. As this tragic character. I just found out that those were still considered canon in the story that that the Universal yep. Monsters are trying to tell. And I always thought that was just a fun little like spin off. No, that's like actually part of yeah, their in there. story. It yeah. is. It is. And and you know that the when you add what's such a sad thing and what a great box set it would make is when uh young Frankenstein was pitched, Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks went to Universal and said, We want to do this film. And Universal had no faith in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And because then Columbia got it. But you've had since Universal say they wish they'd have done it and they would have put it in all their box sets of, of all their Frankenstein films. Mm. It's one of those things where the studios it and it probably always happens. The studios never have faith in the thing. These genre films, new new people come in. They're almost embarrassed. They make them. You know, you have that with Paramount. Every time they'd make a Star Trek film, they'd tear down the set because they thought, okay, we're done with it. Mm. The receipts would come in. They'd have to build a new set. That's right. why you have all these different <laughs> Star Trek. And it's the same with Universal in dealing with their films. I mean, they couldn't believe that these things would be successful. And it left the door open for Hammer. Well, and I think that's where Hammer said, well, we'll just build some standing sets and just make a bunch of movies on one studio lot. And... I think that's part of what their big success was, is they were able to crank these out. They had great gothic sets. They had great locations for it. And and they said, you know, we'll make ours bloody. We'll we'll put some more uh, salacious elements into them. Well, and they also, they, they actually, maybe because they had time and distance, but identified better than Universal what, what they were doing. Yes. And Universal didn't realize what they were making. Hammer said the words and said, well, we're making uh, adult dark fairy tales. Mm. And that's what exactly what Universal was doing. And so Hammer ran with that. And as with Universal, found people who took it very seriously. Well, and, and Universal, they, they started their monster line as a last ditch effort. They were near bankruptcy. And then it was like, uh, I think it was the younger son was like, hey, I, uh, let's do a Dracula movie. Let's just m make... Or, or whatever the first one was, let's make this horror movie. I think I can get butts in seats. And they said, all right, sounds stupid. Well, but yeah, then it, he, and then it took off. Yeah, and he, you know, he frankly was an idiot. The the younger Lamley is an idiot. The, <laughs> old, the older one, as much as he was opposed to it, he realized, you know what? 
it, it there's they're making money. Yeah. And they were out. They were making more money than the other studios with when with the mummy and it was a huge hit and Frankenstein huge hits. And so they would do those. It's just their heart wasn't totally in it. Right. Right. Uh, the people they hired was now Hammer was a whole studio that that their heart was in it. They as soon as they saw it work, they said, well, we don't need to make all these other films like, you know, they still did, but not with this. Those weren't the A pictures. Right. But it's because if you see, you know, getting back to it, if you see Curse of the Werewolf, they've did. It's phenomenal. Film. Love that movie. Yeah. And and I think Hammer really nailed. I mean, all their movies have, right. have a moment. I mean, they had quite a few sequels that maybe weren't. But like Curse of the Werewolf, their Frankenstein picture, all the Dracula stuff. I mean, it's, but it's like really you fun. said that the heart was in it. So even the sequels, although they might not be great movies, they're enjoyable to watch. And you know that you're you're watching a piece of art that was made by somebody that cared and was trying to make a good something, whatever. Even if it was a good second movie. I'll give them that they knew how to be purient. I mean, in the original Werewolf or uh, Wolfman, Claude Rains has to use a beautifully crafted silver-tipped walking stick to beat his son to death. Right? Sure, yeah. And I love in Curse of the Werewolf, he just uses a shotgun with silver shot in it. And that actually works pretty good, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually much more effective, but it's shocking, even to this day, to see him shoot his son. Mm -hmm. it, it's still a shocking moment, and not to have ruined it for everyone, but you know, you know what's going to happen in a werewolf movie. So that level, it still works. And again, a great original view of, of a werewolf that I think the Oliver Reed Wolfman is terrifying. It's a great look. There's there's literally hatred in his eyes. Yeah. And that's the actor. And now none of these that we've said so far, Mr. Jones, are your favorite werewolf movie? No. Still not no. there? All right. You got to no. lay it on us. What, what okay. is your favorite? Okay, all of these are great movies that I watch all the time, right? I love them. But one that just has this thing to it, probably because it's not filmed on sets, it's filmed on location, in the location it's supposed to take place. It's thoroughly American, but it's a subculture of America. It has great actors in it. Uh, a, a well, uh, it's a, a a pretty damn good script based on a on a pretty good book, obscure all the way, but still. Can I throw a guess? Is it Bad Moon? Nope. I, I'm out, man. I have no clue. Okay, like I said, it has all of these things working for it, right? And I remember seeing it. I had to have been ten years old, eleven years old, and then it would play on television, afternoon television. Uh, late night sometimes, depending. It was a film made for television, of all things. And it's called Moon of the Wolf. Moon of the Wolf. It takes place in Louisiana. It has, a, like I said, a terrific cast. David Jansen plays the sheriff. Barbara Rush and Bradford Dillman play this wealthy brother and sister who live there. This is 1972? Uh, 1972. You have terrific actors in Jeffrey Lewis, Royal Dano, John Davis, if you saw him, you'd know him. There's just a ton of great people in it. It's directed by a pretty good director in Daniel Petrie, who's just TV director, but did other things too, did some film stuff. But it works. I think it's fallen into public domain, so you're not going to see anyone really put an ace copy of it out there. Sure, sure. But it does mean you can get it. I know the DVD. Now that you're saying it, I looked it up, and I've seen the DVD cover a lot of times. The one that I've seen is... 
it has the title and then it's got a picture of a full moon and like a, a werewolf face superimposed over the 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 moon, the moon itself. And I know I've seen it. I've seen the cover a thousand times. Sure. There's a lot of uh, because it lost its copyright status. You'll see a lot of a lot of it coming up. But it came out, you know, I think it was on ABC or something. But it has, like I said earlier, the that French term of frisson to it. It has a lot of taboo to it, which surprised me that it made it to TV. It has a wonderful local atmosphere flavor that you're in a place this Cajun culture that at that time I did, you know, you didn't, I didn't know anything about it. It's in this decayed Southern Gothic feel. So you're in those creepy, uh, Spanish moss swamps. Um, it takes place in this wonderful, in the tradition of universal, this wonderful manor house at the end, but the murders are wonderful. It just, it all works. Like I said, it has, it has a certain level of voodoo is in it. The term, first time I ever heard the term loop guru, which is Cajun, French Cajun for werewolf. So it has all this stuff that's uniquely American, but it's a subculture of it. And it's a well-made film. That's amazing. And I, and I, I hate it when we get stumped, but I love it too, because it means now I have homework to do that's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, like, was just like the, the best same kind thing. of homework. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. This looks awesome. And like, you really can't beat a setting like New Orleans. Like, I think that no. is one of the best settings for any sort of American horror they take good advantage of it. Good. And they don't lie about anything in how those people are. They, they don't they don't romanticize them. They don't put them down. They just show them. Wow. This looks crazy. Yeah, we're looking pictures here. It, funny, funny enough. And, and this is just a side note is uh, Moon of the Wolf is also the name of the uh, uh, of the miniseries where Batman fights a werewolf. So I, Batman I, animated I, series. I, I think that is kind of funny as well. That, that <laughs> Well, a lot of us, a lot of us uh, who do these things, and I'm quite certain the people from the anime, they knew this movie too. Sure. We all, you know, when I come across friends of mine who do this or whatever, and we start talking, we've all seen the same stuff. Sure. And we all saw it in the same way. You saw it on television and it terrified you. You know, there was not, all the media where you could just instantly go find it. Like I'm quite certain you can find Moon of the Wolf on YouTube and watch it. You know, it's, mm -hmm. but we used to watch it. You had to wait for it to show up. And when you did, it would usually be at an awkward hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, it had a lot of that, but, but it worked. And I think a lot of it always comes down to is it has a really solid cast. And these people, they put their all into it. And I think partially there was a boom in television horror at the time. You had Cole Shack and whatnot, things doing very well in television film, television horror in particular. They'd say, all right, well, we'll we'll give this a green light and let it go. And for whatever reason, it it really worked for me. And it it's something that as werewolf movies go, whenever I go back to it, I find I enjoy it just as much as, as ever. It has its own kind of synergy. Is it scary? Would you, would you give it a scary? You know, it's the reason I liked it. Oh, it's okay. An, it's, a, it's a very eerie film and it, it has all of the elements that drive a good story beyond just the monster, the interaction of these characters, their histories, uh, whatever motivates them. It, it's all not about the main character. There's all these other little stories going on because it's this kind of this town in out of the way Louisiana and this haunted plantation in this great locale. You know, there had to be days where you're looking at, you go, yeah, it, it was probably pretty humid that day. They're all working. They're all, <laughs> they're all drenched or whatever, but it's a creeper and it has a tremendously good ending. And again, a very taboo aspect of to why is he a werewolf? It's, it's anytime you're jealous over your sister, watch out. 
<laughs> well, I am so pumped to check this out. I mean, I, I, in our research, I thought we had hit all, you know, found all the gems and hit all the gems, but I, I'm so excited that there was one here that we didn't know about. And there's so many more that I, I know of that I haven't talked about, whether it's terrible or funny or yeah. I like the werewolf, but the movie sucks or the movie's great, but the werewolf sucks. There's so many more. So keep it tuned here. We'll do some more werewolf stuff, but I feel like not only Eric and I, but our listeners now have a big reading list and a big watch list of things that we may not have seen. Um, I know there's two or three things today that I have to now choose. I have to like scrap my plans and tell my wife I can't clean and sorry, babe, gotta dinner. watch yeah. these werewolf movies. <laughs> She's like, What? I'm like, Kelly Jones said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all I see. And you know, that that really doesn't work for me either, but I like to say that too. <laughs> uh, no, look, it's it is something. It's always fun when you discover stuff in genre that you didn't know. Bernie Wrightson had once told me that he felt kind of bad that he'd seen everything there was and there's nothing really now they can they can shock you but they can't really scare you films can't really scare you yeah and he used to be scared by him and i said you have stopped looking <laughs> that's and, true and he goes and he said no 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 i said okay i'm not going to say anything i'm just going to tell you this i'm going to send you a movie i want you to turn off your phones and whatever watch it at night not because it needs to be night but just so you're left alone and i said you just watch this no interruptions, and you just let it work on you. And I said, I guarantee you, it will scare the hell out of you, and it will it will leave you with that afterglow of a great that a great horror film, only a great horror film can do. And he says, Well, you're talking it up. And I said, I'm I'm going to tell you right now. I said, Bernie, I'm going to tell you right now. This will scare the hell out of you, and you don't see anything. And I left it at that. I sent it to him. And about two weeks later, I get this thing where he said, he, you know, he'd sent a note saying, yeah, OK, I've got the time. Nothing's going on. I'm going to sit down, just watch it this evening. And the next day I get, what the hell did you do to me? This is it's it's but he was grateful for it because he said this this really worked. What movie? Uh, British television had done the first greatest and most wonderful adaptation of The Woman in Black. Oh, oh OK. And it's not the one they did a few years ago, which is, you know, all the god awful CG stuff. It doesn't right. do that. It's closer to and it was adapted by uh, Nigel Neal, who had done Quatermass and uh, a genius into his right and knows horror. Here it was made for Christmas Eve of 1988 in for Britain. And it is as terrifying a thing as I had ever seen. There's quite a number of British television things to find that are terrifying. A lot of it from the 70s, really well done. And this is the cream of the crop. So, you know, he got it. I sent it to him. It, it blew him away. He said it was it was it, it's all the things that make any good movie good, cheap or expensive. It's got to have tension. It's got to have dread. It's got to have you don't need gore. I, I love gore. Don't get me wrong. Give me an axe murder movie any day. Yeah, but. Uh, I, I can go any route on that. Those aren't scary. That's fun to watch, but not it's scary. Just, that doesn't no, add to the scariness. Unless you have someone really good where you're horrified right. and disgusted. But I believe in the Stephen King thing. If I can't scare you, I'll gross you out. Mm -hmm. And there is something to that. So when Tom Savini used to do all those teenage slasher movie things, yeah, and when he did them, they worked. And you really had to get ready for it because he, the inventiveness of it. But then you can, like I said, there's a lot of great television stuff 
that worked. There was a terrific film around this same time called Bad Ronald about a crazy kid. Oh, we know Bad Ronald. <laughs> yeah, we know Bad Ronald. Yeah. The kid hiding and in the cupboard. What Bad Ronald was bad for was that if your family saw it, you see this kid who's into fantasy and comic books, and right. you knew they thought you were going to be bad. <laughs> we got to board this kid up in the bathroom. Right. <laughs> I, but I always, I always really dug there's somebody in the house, too. Yeah. 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 Th those are great. And, and again, there's wonderful movies like The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yeah. Sure. You would think is going to be stupid, and it's and to this day has as good a moments as there's ever been in a horror film. Oh, I, I think the Town of Dread Sundown is one of the best or most underrated slashers. I won't say best, yeah, but I, I think it's really underrated. Well, I just rewatched it too. It's the first serial killer movie. Yeah. yeah, it's the first true serial killer movie, and it doesn't play itself as a slasher film because he's not. He's a freaking psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. Then when you think movies always lie to you, and then you find out. This movie told the truth and and thankfully didn't tell the real truth about this. Sure. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's always these little gems out there that people, you know, in, in the push for more and more and more, they forget there's I think there was actually, oddly enough, more freedom in filmmaking then than there is now. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Well, there were less rules for sure. And there were less, oh, yeah. I think, less trodden tracks that had been done before, which I think is safe and people try to do now because they try to put their movie in this category or that quarter category, whereas back then especially when we're talking 30s, 40s, they, there was no precedent. They were just trying to make the movie interesting, make the movie about what they wanted it to be about, you sure. know, not, not trying to make it a this type of movie or that type and of then movie. In, and then in the 70s and 80s, they just wanted content because of the mm -hmm. burgeoning home video market. Sure, because right. Of, you know, people, people were eating movies up, going to the movies constantly. So it was just how much content we can get and how many people can we get to see it. And I think now it's like, because it's such a gamble, nobody wants to spend money on it. It's, it's hard to get it out there, which is unfortunate. But to wrap up our werewolf conversation, something that you said that really struck me and it, it is, is comparing it to a cancer because, uh, you know, it's, it's one that you have that, that hurts other people. And I thought that that was such an astute thing because also in the conversation talking about what Larry Talbot had to do to control it, mm. so many people, you know, really have to spend a lot of their lives dealing with a sickness or an illness and, right. and the extremes that people go to and and I think that's especially very interesting in a, a werewolf of, you know, do you lock yourself up at night or do you try and end it so you don't hurt other people? It's a fascinating conversation. And I, I really hope we see more of these movies I in the future. Too. And it's and it's those questions that make it work. It, it's any of those questions make uh, why I was probably always drawn to horrors at first. They're scary. And they're safe, scary, or I, you know, you kind of think they're safe, scary. But after that, they become they become more uh, the 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 moral questions were more clearly asked in those films. Would you be friends with someone really ugly and scary and grunting like but was had a sweet disposition like Frankenstein's monster? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I always had to be honest with that one. You know, I always felt really sorry for him. I go, yeah, I'd probably be dragging the pitchfork too. You know, you know. <laughs> but there are those things when you see the classic Hammer films. You learn so much. I remember learning most of my religion. I learned from Hammer's classic to me, Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Yeah, mm -hmm. where Dracula doesn't speak a word, so it has to be carried by every everyone else. And my hero became Father Sandor, who was the Monsignor in charge of everything, and he lives his religion 
he fights him, but he'll only fight on a certain level so far. He will not take human life. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's all these great things. He explains what it is. And as a little kid, I didn't, you know, they couldn't explain it to me that well. But Hammer Films explained to me what this was. Did the mystery of this so well. They felt he was, I mean, you have Father Sandor basically saying the tragedy that is this guy. Yes, he's an awful, but he's long dead. It's whatever's taking him over. But what a tragedy it is to be a vampire. Yeah. Don't feel you're hurting them. You're freeing them. I, it, it was very symbolic of just regular life. But but I always, uh, to my, to, and, and not that it's a werewolf film, but that was my, and still is my favorite vampire film. Great. Now we have to do a whole vampire series with you guys, too. We'll, we'll get you back in here. Well, you, you know, you hear you have the, the protagonist is this guy who's a cynical, unbelieving. Oh, get over it. We live in the 1900 or 1800s. And he's forced to come to terms that it was that attitude that caused all the problems. It wasn't Dracula. It was him. Yeah. He's the one who kept pushing it. He's the one who caused his brother and his sister-in-law to die. He's the one. It isn't Dracula. Dracula is what he is, but he wouldn't listen because he was too damn smart. That still applies. And it applies to it applies to the werewolf films. It applies to to horror in general. I think the best horror movies is like you're saying, it's an internal problem that is sort of reflected by the monstrosity of, of a real monster. But the internal problems of your family, your shame, your guilt, you know, the, those are the things that, that are the horror story. And then the monster reflects that in, in a good horror movie. There's such a taboo in cat people mm -hmm. that she, if she gives in at all, and even consummates her marriage, she will turn into this thing and kill because of whatever happened in her village that was God knows what they were do up to. Yeah. So when she sees one of her own kind and you see that, that other lady, this other girl from her, from her village, Hey, she digs me in this thing. <laughs> and that means she's killing people. And doesn't have a problem with it. Calls her sister and walks on. And she crosses herself. Because there's no way out. The only way out for her is celibacy. So her hatred turns to a gal who's trying to help her. Because her husband's becoming attracted to her. It, it's so sophisticated. Yeah, talk about an adult fairy tale, huh? <laughs> it, it is so freaking sophisticated. All the time you're feeling terrible. No one is a bad person in this. And when it comes to its incredibly good ending, other than the uh, the psychiatrist in it who is a jerk, <laughs> when it comes to its ending, it's perfect gothic. A, a gothic story is the right outcome and nobody survives. Nobody either survives living or survives unscathed. But good wins. That's gothic. And and people think gothic is how you dress or how you look. That's not gothic. Gothic can happen in a modern setting, like in uh, Cat People, which was modern in 1942. They didn't they didn't go back into any creepy castles. It takes place in a beautiful brownstone apartment. That's fascinating. And this is coming from Kelly Jones, who is like the foremost professor of gothic. I feel like at least in, in our circles, you know it. You know what you're talking about. I still believe in gothic and I believe in gothic. Uh, gothic can be dark shadows and creepy locales in a modern setting, or it can be, you know, 200 years ago.
but it's not necessarily people dressed up wearing all kinds of goofy stuff. Well, I think Alien is a great example of future gothic. Just what you said, sure. running that litmus test, Ellen Ripley wins. She gets away, but she's not unscathed. Everything's blown up. Her career's ruined. Her friends are dead. You're right. Ultimately, it was still all worth it. Yeah. Because the bad thing is gone. And I've always heard aliens, alien being described as sci-fi gothic. And I was like, well, does that fit that litmus test? And it's like, wow, it, it does yeah, still it totally hold does, up as, yeah. as a well, sci-fi gothic. There is. There's, there's all kinds of terrific stuff out there that the uh, frosting of it is what people are attracted to. But it's the cake where the, where the real heavy lifting is. And I, I love how brilliant the first Kolshak film is. And the second Kolshak film, extremely gothic totally modern. As I was saying, this Moon of the Wolf story, totally gothic, completely modern. They, But they just put it in a great setting and in a place you don't really go to. Now, people, there might be people more, uh, more films or more, more, more stuff about that area of the country, but not when I was a kid. You didn't hear about that area. That country, that was like a different country. Yeah. So, so they're all Americans there, but some of these people have accents. Mm-hmm that don't even sound like, you know, they're not even Southern. Right. So, so, and you know, I love that. It, it, it was all like it, you, like you were saying earlier, you discover something new, but, but that, that in and of itself is what makes this all fun. I mean, it's why we do it. You know, for me, I, I always say that I am honestly very, very untrained, but all my schooling was these, you know, Friday night movies and these odd anthologies and all this stuff where you're just uh, where you find these odd things and they stay with you and they can stay for a reason when it's fun. But more so, you begin to be friends with other people who get it because you find they're of like mind, not just in subject matter, but in a whole host of things. So they serve a purpose. I mean, I still have friends from those days when we would sit around talking about these same subjects we're talking about now mm -hmm. because we all kind of had the same point of view on things, you know? Well, I mean, I have to say this has been really fun. We, we, we we've hit about an hour, so we're going to try it, start wrapping up the, the episode, but Rap. we, we want to thank you so much for coming on our show, man. We really appreciate it. This has been amazing. We, I mean, you've given us so many things to look up, read, listen to stuff we got to figure out now yeah now and like I, the rest of this day i'm not gonna get anything else i'm done. so excited you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna drop at least 15 bucks on amazon prime right now i know it but <laughs> so to our audience guys look up these movies that we've that we have been recommended moon of the wolf let's 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 hunt that down where can we find it you guys let us know our fans are so good at finding uh finding stuff and and sending us the links whether it's on youtube or if they can find it on amazon let's find those books guys um, let's find that anthology to, to read some of these werewolf stories. And in the meantime, keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Launchpad Pod and on our website, launchpadpod.com. Mr. Jones, where can people follow you? Is there anything that you have coming up that people should keep an eye out for? Uh, the next thing will be uh, Detective 1000. I'll have a story in that. And I've got a few other things that I'm not allowed to talk about until they settle and hash it all out. But got, got stuff coming down the pike. And you just wrapped up uh, Batman Kings of Fear. That's all six issues are out now. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that one did pretty well for me. So I'm I was glad that it was received well. And and the best part is they're putting that out in a hardcover in a few months. So yes, I'm dying for that. I'll be really excited to grab that. And it's very gothic. 
gothic brownstone gothic. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, too, you know, thank you again for coming, Mr. Jones. It's always fun to BS with you. It's always fun to talk about comics, to talk about horror. Uh, I'm going to nitpick and say it's amazing that you always do deliciously fat kid sounding analogies. The first time we talked to you, you talked about combining peanut butter and chocolate. Today, you're talking about frosting and cake. That's just like, <laughs> I, I love that you throw that into like, I was already listening and hanging on every word you say, but you're also like icing and frosting and chocolate and peanut butter. And I'm like, go on, <laughs> go on professional Batman artist. I will listen to everything. It's, it's what we were eating while watching and reading and doing all these things. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And now that's what I get. My wife's going to come out and be like, oh, you're baking a cake. And I'm like, no, no, this is for me and Aaron. We're watching a werewolf movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, and the beauty—the beauty of it is—is is that that I have become almost immune to the eye roll of my wife now. Or the, <laughs> I have to, I, you know, I've already raised my kids, and I still have this one. And it's even worse if my friend, you know, I have a, a buddy comes over, and we'll just watch Hammer films all day or something. And she realizes that, <laughs> just, you know, and we're going, no, you have to sit and watch this. <laughs> oh man, well that's excellent. Thank you so much again. And guys, until next time, we're the Rocketeers. This is the Launchpad Podcast. Kelly Jones in the house. Matt, let's blast this thing off. And and we're out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.